0: And welcome to Fosse. I'm here again at the second day, the free and open source software yearly conference put on by the Software Freedom Conservancy in Portland, Oregon, which is super fun. And I'm here for another podcast surprise. I'm Richard Litauer, and my guest today is Emily O'Meara. Emily, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you.
0: It's great to have you here all the way from Paris, which is super awesome. And with a kid in the background, which is the best. We haven't had many kids in this podcast, so I love that. Is it okay that I mentioned that?
1: Yeah, it's fine. Okay. She was wondering if she could participate too.
0: She probably could. So if you hear a kid, that's great. Tell me about what you do.
1: So I am a consultant. I work with open source startups or open source businesses, I should say, on clarifying their commercial strategy and their positioning for their open source projects, their commercial products, and how to connect the dots between those two in a way that makes sense and is Profitable and sustainable for their open source project.
0: Interesting. What's the name of the consultancy?
1: Emily O'Meara Consulting. Makes um, sense. Yeah. Cool. I took a lot of creative liberties in the name.
0: That's great. I'm curious immediately. Your accent sounds like you're American.
1: Yes. You're- I'm from Portland. Oh, This cool. is my hometown.
0: Welcome back. But you're living in Paris. Are you mainly serving the European market?
1: That's actually a good question. So part of why I moved to Paris actually fairly recently is because instantly I well, I don't work exclusively with European companies, but I think the European ecosystem is in some ways more interesting than the American one, the North Why? American one. So, generally speaking, European startups, and I'm I mostly work with startups, European startups are generally less well-funded and they're more pushed to be profitable sooner than American or North American companies. And Honestly, this makes the work that I do more valuable because I am helping companies accelerate their path to profit, be really focused and so make better use of their resources. If you have like nobody has unlimited resources, but if you have massive amounts of money and you feel like money is just free and it's raining down on you, honestly, you can waste a lot of money and it's okay. you'll still survive. I would say. That was the situation maybe up to a year ago with a lot of North American companies. I think it's less so now, but it's never been like that for European startups. And so anyway, I think it makes it more interesting and it makes my the kind of work that I do more valuable.
0: So most of the time when I think about open source and North American concept, I think about Osbos and throwing money around. And often I think of open source as a loss leader. I don't say that very often because it sounds bad. But a lot of times open source is an extra thing you do on top of your business logic, which is making most of the money. As a consultant who works on the other side of that conversation, how are you helping improve the profit margins for European startups by working on open source strategy?
1: So the companies that I work for have basically already decided that they're open source companies. This is either because they have a really compelling business reason or I think often because that's the kind of company that they want to build. So I'm not really going in and telling companies you should be an open source company. I do think that it is a good commercial move, at least sometimes. I don't think it's right for every company or every founder, but I think it's. I think there's like pretty good data to back up that being an open or having an open source project as part of your company, or really I should say that your company relies on good it's good for business and it can be good for business for various reasons so for example a pretty common reason that companies will have an open source project is they're small and they're selling to companies that are going to rely on the software and those companies are really worried that if this little itty bitty startup goes belly up they're going to be in trouble because they're not going to have access to the software anymore, which is the situation if you have a completely closed source solution. But instead, you know, the the company can say, well, let's say we go out of business two years from now, this open source project is going to continue living on. You'll always have access to it. Yes, you know, we won't be able to support it or whatever if we've gone under, but mitigates the risk pretty substantially. Another reason is around transparency. So some companies really pretty worried about what are you going to do with our data? And this is particularly the case, well, it's particularly the case if you're touching like sensitive customer data, but it's also the case like if you're, for example, manipulating their infrastructure, if your project is manipulating their infrastructure, then they want to be really confident that your project does what you say it does, and they don't want to just trust you. They also want to verify for themselves. So in that scenario, having it open source is really compelling way to be like, no, look, you don't have to just trust us. Look at it. You can see that we really do what we say we do. And that can speed deals along. So something that might run into legal or security or like compliance snafus will get passed through the system much faster because it's open source. And yes, obviously, open source could also function as a loss leader. But there's that's sort of only one potential business reason for having an open source project.
0: Also, normally the reason for much larger companies, I think for smaller companies, having an open source base makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Where are your clients normally in like the range of funds? Are they SMEs or are they larger corporate European institutions?
1: So I have worked with really with pretty small companies and with big ones. My favorite are startups who have, so they're relatively small, but they have a commercial offering. Mm -hmm. So they've moved beyond just like getting funds for their open source project. Now they have some sort of commercial offering. They have some revenue. And what they want to do is figure out how to accelerate their revenue growth and, Also, usually accelerate their project as well, but make sure that accelerating project growth also translates to to more revenue. And also, we talk about accelerating revenue, but that's not the only thing that matters because you also want to get closer to profitability. And that's especially important in an open source context because you can end up throwing so much money at your open source project or not thinking through what your pricing should be and... Sometimes you can accelerate your revenue and get further away from profitability. So you can end up losing money on every deal if you're not thinking that through. So yeah, that my ideal client is relatively small. So like where I would still be working with the founders, but they have revenue.
0: Sounds like a lot of the work that you would have to do involves marketing and trying to figure out like how to tell the story of the company and so on. I'm just curious. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So I come from a marketing background, so it's totally true. But what I do now is definitely more than marketing. It's kind of has its fingers in almost every part of a company. And in fact, I think this is a misconception about positioning in general and the kind of work that I do that, oh, this only matters for marketing. It doesn't because knowing what your company's identity is first is just like really just core business strategy, but it has implications for... So in marketing, you want to know who is our target user, right? And you need to know who is our target user for our open source project, who's our target user for our our commercial offering. They're going to be different. There will be some overlap, but they will always be different because there's like, by definition, there are going to be people in your open source community who will never, ever pay you money. And First of all, you should be okay with that because they're still contributing value. I mean, assuming you're like really truly dedicated to building an open source company, you should be okay with that. But once you think about who, the, who those different market segments are and then also what this, the coherent story of your company is, yes, this is about what story you're telling about the company, but you have to make sure that your product backs that story up. And so it has implications for what are you putting in your product? So let's say you're developing X feature. Does this feature go in your open source project? Does it go in your commercial product? Or does it maybe go in neither because this feature doesn't actually match the story that you're telling about your company and doesn't actually meet a need that, that either of your target markets have? Mm. And that's actually how, like how you can get closer to profitability, right? Is you stop doing all this stuff that isn't actually adding value.
0: Awesome. So I have to ask, because it's timely, what do you feel about the Cyber Resiliency Act and how that's going to impact the European market for open source?
1: Oh, I don't know because I cannot answer.
0: (laughs) Darn it, darn it. Really want to ask that question because like, I just, there's so much more going on in Europe that's not happening here in terms of legislation around uh, open source
1: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I will only make a fool of myself if I make comments about legislation, so. That's
0: okay, It's okay. <laughs> I, I just felt like I had to ask you. We already talked about the difference in financial markets. You talked about, them. yeah. Okay, cool. My other question I had for you was, do you ever work directly with open source communities or are you working mainly with founders about how to deal with the open source? Or do you ever do the other side of things where you get involved with the communities themselves and the code?
1: So I have never worked just directly with a community, to be totally frank, like as a consultant, like they wouldn't pay me. So I actually wouldn't be necessarily opposed to working with a community just for free as a loss leader, but I've never done so. And I have also never worked with an OSPO. That that is another sort of another avenue that I think would be very interesting to, to Think about how like a bigger company that's not financially dependent on its open source can still connect the dots between working on open source and business value. And in fact, that uh, there's been a lot of layoffs in the open source world. And to me, that's a failure of communication. It was a f- failure of failure to communicate to business leaders what open source is how open source is contributing to the business bottom line. And there's really, so if you boil it down, there's really only two values that or three values that you can contribute to a business's bottom line. You can increase revenue, you can decrease costs, or you can mitigate risks. And as somebody who works in open source at a big business that is not financially dependent on open source at a Netflix or a Spotify or whatever, you need to make sure that you're able to articulate how your company's work in open source does one of those three things for the company. Otherwise, yeah, times are tough and you're going to be the first to get the axe.
0: If you haven't worked with open source communities, how did you get into this field?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I got into this field because I was working in marketing with Kubernetes companies in, in the cloud native sphere. And there's a lot of open source companies that are also, there's like a huge amount of overlap. And what I found is that the sort of companies that are in the Kubernetes ecosystem that are just proprietary closed source, I didn't think that their positioning and revenue strategy was sort of like fundamentally different from other proprietary software companies. Yeah, there's there are some specifics about selling to a developer or software engineer audience, but it wasn't as different Whereas the ones that were open source had just a way more complex go to market process, a more complex revenue strategy, commercial strategy in general, positioning was more complicated. And so I found that that was the type, honestly, is the type of company where I thought I could be more useful, mm-hmm. that I think is less served by like existing consultants or sort of general SaaS or software consultants, and also honestly by like resources about business building out there. I mean, if you have an open source company and it does not matter if it's like super hardcore infrastructure, Kubernetes, cloud native, or like you're make an open source project that's for a consumer audience or a university students or whatever, You can't just take a generic startup book and follow the playbook because it won't work for you. Your playbook has to be different. There's some things that are more similar than others, but you can't just take that playbook and expect to, you know, graft it onto your open source startup.
0: Awesome. Really fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people hear more about your thoughts?
1: So I host a podcast. It's called The Business of Open Source. Check out my podcast. It's awesome. It's awesome. I my website is emilyomir.com. Also got really creative about that one. So check out my website. I have a blog where I write pretty regularly about open source and business, all these sorts of topics. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can find me. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Emily Omir out there. My last name is O-M-I-E-R. So yeah, just search for Emily O'Mir and you'll find me, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's it. One more thing. I write a monthly column for the new stack. Uh, that's cool. about entrepreneurship for engineers.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And all those links will be in the show notes as well. And Sophia, since you're here as well, what's your favorite part of the conference been so far? It was just now. It was just now when I could get to stuffy in the
1: lollipopsicle. I thought that was super cool.
0: Amazing. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks. Thank you. This is great.
0: Listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you're curious about Fosse, where these were recorded, go to sfconservancy.org, to the Software Freedom Conservancy's website, where you can learn more about it. It's been really, really fun to be here and have these great conversations about free and open source software. Of course, if you've liked this podcast, please let us know. Like us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it. Email us at podcast at sustain give us any thoughts or comments or queries or complaints we would love to hear them and of course please tell your friends word of mouth is the single best way to get more listeners on this podcast and hopefully you think that that's something we should have if you would like to donate you can go to open collective to sustain oss where you can donate to the production cost for this podcast which is not free so that would be super super great and of course, you can join in the conversation yourself by going to discourse with the same oss.org to go chat. And you can follow us on Twitter at The same OSS, on Mastodon, and I believe on Blue Sky. So thank you so much for listening and take care. Bye.